Welcome back to The Resilient Responder, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of our first responder and military communities. Here we talk about the job, mental wellness and resiliency, coaching, family, and living our best lives. Now, once again, here is your host, Keith Hanks. And And welcome to the Resilient Responder podcast, sponsored by First Responder Coaching. We discuss everything that has to do with being a resilient responder in today's emergency services. I am your guest host, Don Pemberton. I have over 22 years in emergency services, and I am joined today by a close friend of mine, Chief David Robertson. Dave, would you mind saying hello? Hello, Don. It's good to see you. On It's actually... We've talked a lot over the last few years, and I don't know if we've actually seen each other. I know, I know. <laughs> so this is, it's good. So it's its really great to be here. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we're we are uh, keeping up with the uh, with the race to be completely gray between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> got your beat there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you got it. You got a head start. <laughs> so enough. I... I am going to give uh, Dave an opportunity to introduce himself, but Dave is the training chief uh, in uh, north, in just north of us, up in Canada, and uh, we passed uh, cross paths uh, a while ago back in the city of Alameda or the island of, of misfit toys, as we talk about, and we uh, have. You know, we both separated from Alameda and went our own paths. I went down to the Southwest. Dave went up to the uh, the North Country up in Canada. And so, Dave, why don't you take a moment and tell me a little bit about your story? How did you get involved in fire and emergency services? And just start us off. Just roll with it. Sure. Um, so my story, uh, in some ways, like so many other people in North America, there's a Johnny and Roy uh, connection, right? Um, uh, I think the first time that I told somebody that my Johnny and Roy connection, I thought I was giving them some great insight into me. And it turns out that a whole bunch of us were affected by that. Uh, for any of your your listeners that don't know, I'm talking about uh, Johnny and Roy, uh, Johnny Gage, Roy DeSoto on the show Emergency. And when I was a little kid, it was very popular. And uh, and I would run around the neighborhood rescuing people, uh, whether or not they wanted, wanted it. <laughs> so so, you know, I think I think there were some seeds uh, planted there. Um, I had an earlier career. I was a suit. I was uh, in and out of marketing firms in Canada um, and ended up uh, started off in the in the kind of Toronto, Montreal area, got headhunted out west to Vancouver. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. Uh, you know, it was it was a fantastic time. I learned a, I learned a ton while I was there, but it was time for me to hang up the suit after a number of years, and I did, and so I became a ski instructor. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, but being uh, being the smart young gentleman that I was, I didn't quite put together that in the summertime, there's not a lot of snow. So, <laughs> so uh, here I was living in this small mountain town, no snow in the summertime, and I was craving connection. Um, I've looked back at that uh, time in my life a number of times, but it was, uh, you know, physical separation from my family, career change, um, a, uh, a, a relationship had ended uh, as well. Um, and I was just kind of craving some some connection. And so I reached out to the town hall. I actually walked up there with my dog and, and there was a little old lady 
at the counter who had mentioned that the library was looking for volunteers and the fire department was looking for volunteers. And so like, uh, aside from the Johnny and Roy connection, like many of us in North America, there's also that end of things, which is very common for us where I kind of fell into it. Um, uh, it was, uh, I did not at all think of myself as, as, you know, I'm going to be a firefighter. Um, but, uh, but I got a number of certifications under my belt, started finding some direction, a uh, fantastic mentor that I still reach out to, uh, Bob Allen, um, very quietly, uh, one of the, uh, auto X Kings, um, out there. And, uh, uh, and I, and I became a pro. Uh, met a girl in uh, who was from California, moved down to California. That's how we ended up in Don's neck of the woods um, in uh, in Alameda after a stint with uh, in Marin County and then moved over to Napa County Cal Fire for a while. Um, and it was time to come home after all those years. I, I love the States. I love America. I love Americans. But, you know, home is home. And, and uh, so I made my way north right at the front end of COVID to take a job at a fire academy. But uh, COVID shaped up the way we all saw that fire academy closed up. Um, and I bounced around for a couple of years and until I get this uh, recruiting call. Um, uh, a gentleman talking to me about this great uh, chief's position. Um, it's a new fire department. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm basically I'm building this training division from the ground up. And uh, and we're a few minutes into the conversation, and he says, "So it's it's close to this place called Sarnia, Ontario, Sarnia, Ontario, Canada." And I went, "Oh my god, that's my hometown!" So I kind of, for all the North American travel, I got sucked back into my little hometown, uh, which has turned out to be a fantastic experience, a, a great, great experience. So that's kind of how I got into the fire service. Very cool. Very cool. And it's funny that you bring up the word connection, because I think so many of us seek that connection with those around us, with, uh, you know, those that, 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 you know, quote unquote brotherhood that create this created, you know, by just the, the proximity. I mean, we're stuck in these stations 24, 48, 72 hours at a time, and there's going to be a connection, whether you like it or not. And then whether or not it's positive or not seems to, you know, be, um, you know, kind of a kind of a moving target, because I know throughout my career, there, there was times where uh, very similar to my situation right now, and I've been with my crew um, at my station now for about four years, and the last four years have just been phenomenal. Uh, the previous six years before that uh, were a little bit more challenging, and I try not to allow the roster determine my feelings and my thoughts about the day, but it was very easy for me to find those, those things about either an individual or a station or a combination of people that really changed my experience on a day-to-day -day basis, and you know, there's there's so many wonderful positive things about fire and emergency services, and I think if you if you talk with somebody who has spent a good deal amount of time in fire and emergency services, they will tell you that the people make the experience. It's it's less about the calls. It's less about the uh, the area that you're in. It's less about those those individual things and more about your experience with those individuals within the four walls of the station. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. You know, we 
Um, we all know that uh, people can't make you feel a certain way. It's whatever your reaction is. Uh, and I think that's that's true of the people on the roster. Um, you know, they now having said that, uh, we also draw a lot of analogies uh, between the fire service and family. And uh, and there are some sad stories out there where you might get a great household roof over their head, beautiful, beautiful home, great mom, brothers, sisters, dog in the backyard. Um, and and maybe one of the parents is uh, is is maybe abusive, even just verbally abusive. And so that one person, the one person on that family roster can actually change uh, the, the climate of, of the entire uh, of the entire household. And I think that uh, while um, it does take it does take some resilience, it does take some grit uh, to be able to navigate those tougher days with with rosters that maybe don't jive exactly with where, where you're thinking at in the fire service. Um, uh, it definitely takes some resilience and 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 recognizing that hey, you know they've got their thing going on. I'm going to try to not let it affect me. But going back to that analogy of the family and, and a household where you just get one person, we can get that one person in, in a firehouse that can kind of make it very hard, make it make it a tough 24 or 48, uh, 48 hours. So, um, so yeah, that's that's a, that's really interesting, Don. I, I uh, and I and I also wasn't aware. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad, you know, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about pretty much everything in the fire service in that whole, in your whole region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had the opportunity to actually teach a couple of people um, right from your neck of the woods before, I think, right before you and I met, uh, and I was thoroughly impressed. Um, so for it to be even better for you now, that's great. That's good to hear. Yes, yes. No, we, you know, we get into the fire service and, you know, we we start out and everything is new. It's shiny. Everything is amazing. And as we kind of just go through our career, you know, there's so many different avenues that we can take. Uh, for myself, I started in the fire department and I was a map geek and I've always enjoyed maps. And so uh, identifying an opportunity for me to be engaged and involved in our mapping program and taking that to the next level and updating and modernizing was, was a huge way that I could contribute to our agency. And then moving on for myself, getting my bachelor's degree, and then now going on to the hazardous materials team and looking towards the potential of going through the promotional process. I think in my version or my vision of the fire service, I like to continue to move forward in something. And the analogy that I've used over and over again is that we're all sitting in leaky boats. And those leaky boats, if we just sit still, we're going to sink. And so as we continue to go throughout our day, throughout our months, throughout our years, looking for ways to bailing that water out of those leaky boats so that we can stay afloat and keep being the, those responders and those people that we want to be. That's that's a great analogy. I, I, the leaky boat analogy. It's, it's funny you bring up that one. Um, uh, for any of your listeners that are first responders that are involved in EMS, you can appreciate this. I actually just taught an EMS course, but my leaky boat analogy has to do with uh, the heart and 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 the bail as a as a as a pump. You've got to pump it at least sixty times a minute for it to really work properly. <laughs> so, but that's it. I really like that analogy of uh, uh, you know, and, and of course, there's the one about um, you know sharks. Now that's definitely a little more assertive, a little more aggressive. But right, the shark that stops swimming sinks and drowns. Um, to some extent, it's the same thing. So I, yeah, I like that. Keep moving forward. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Like, look Absolutely. at me, I'm 57. I'm back in uniform. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you would have think you would have hung it up a long time ago. I, you know, I am, I am, um, I got that question posed to me recently about uh, retirement. Uh, and, and I don't even like not even, yeah, maybe in two or three years where I'll be 60. I'm like, it's not even close, right. not even close. So I'll just keep on doing the push-ups and and hitting the gym and trying to eat right and see how many years I can punch out of this. Yeah. Stretch it out as much as possible. Yeah, no, yes. I, I, uh, yeah, it's funny you talk about retirement because I, I have set a, um, an inflection point in my career at 50 years old. And so there's, there's something magical that happens at 50 years old for me, because that is exactly 20 years of service with the city of Henderson. And at the same time, I start collecting from some of my retirement in California. Mm -hmm. And so having 50% of my paycheck and what I have available to me from the state of California, from the retirement out there, I I'm going to be presented an option. And can I financially, emotionally, psychologically prepare myself to be able to start a new chapter of my life when that, you know, magical 50 number occurs for me? Or is it something where it's like, yeah, you know what, it's, it's more 55 or, you know, we always hear that saying two bad days and, you know, I hang up my stuff and don't come back. But it, it is interesting, you know, us both being in the game for quite some time, those discussions start coming up. And it used to just be those discussions that you had with the old guys. Now, all of a sudden, you realize that you're like, man, I've got, I've got less than 10 years before I might have a decision to make as to whether or not I'm going to continue to show up at work, put on the uniform and go run calls. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The retirement thing is funny when you when you when you run the calculus, right? When you actually, when you crunch the numbers and say, okay, financially I can do it. And you set that aside, then it just all becomes, it becomes your mindset. You know, what do you, what do you feel like doing? Um, right. Well, of course there's the physical end of things because that was really uh, why I don't physically respond anymore is because I actually got a, a, a very legitimate uh, medical, um, medical retirement. I wasn't too sure if you were aware of that, but I actually had operations on my right arm, severed bicep tendon, shredded shoulder. Uh, I, I can't uh, screw in a light bulb without my hand going numb. So that, so being hired as a firefighter paramedic, all those fine motor skills were, are, were gone. Uh, and so that was kind of, that was what finished California for me. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it immediately reminds me of the joke, how many firemen does it take to screw in a light bulb? But <laughs> if we're looking for one, you're not the right guy to call. <laughs> no, no. Definitely not. Definitely not. But yeah, retirement. Um, uh, and and uh, it's funny because I, you know, I think about resilience and and grit, and I feel like I have found a, a whole new reserve of resilience and grit once I was able to find the right therapist, and and I'm in this fantastic uh, relationship with somebody who is incredibly supportive of me, um, and and they so those things they keep filling my backpack of, of resilience. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, at 57, I don't really see an end game yet is because mm -hmm. I just, I feel like I've got the mindset, thankfully the physical gumption, but I've got the mindset and the heart to, to keep going. And it's, it's, it's very much because of, uh, because of that therapy, because of yes. that, that, that support group. 
Yeah. So I, I appreciate you bringing up the, the therapy aspect of it. And I think one of the things that we strive through this podcast is to kind of smash the stigma or to address the stigma and to um, kind of normalize reaching out for help that we're not perfect, that we're not able to, uh, you know, sometimes manage those things that come up. And now was there a, a warning sign for you or an indication that led you to feel or believe that therapy might be helpful for you? That, that's a such a great question. And I think I've got to answer that twice. Um, one of them with not a great outcome, the other one with a, a great outcome. So the first one, several years ago, uh, um, I very much on purpose, I'm not going to mention uh, a department or any names. Uh, but there was a um, there was a firefighter suicide. Um, and uh, and I distinctly remember uh, the day after, just by chance, this department was doing CISM training. And uh, and in the afternoon, um, I was asked to go and collect uh, the backboard of this firefighter suicide that he was uh, transported on from a local hospital. Um, I knew this firefighter. Uh, we, we were actually decently close. Uh, and I picked up this backboard and the, um, the stabilization strips were still on it and whatnot. And there was still blood and a bit of brain matter. It had not been cleaned. Uh, so I'm there cleaning this firefighter's brain matter off this backboard. And I happened to bring up that I wasn't quite feeling right about it. I couldn't, now I can put words to it because I've got the vocabulary. Back then I didn't have the vocabulary, didn't know what the verbiage was. It just, things didn't feel right. And I just happened to cross paths with the person that was teaching CISM that morning. And I got from the CISM guy, a shoulder shrug, a chin wag. You know, it's the way it is. And so there was this disconnect between running us through CISM and not providing it. I recognized, again, without having the proper verbiage, but I recognized that I needed support, reached out, did not have a good outcome. Whether or not, and I personally haven't analyzed the interim stage between that bad experience and the good one yet in my life, but I'm just wondering if there were, there were most likely times in there as well when I needed support. But because that initial bad outcome, I probably didn't seek it. So story number two uh, was um, uh, I was actually going through some challenges uh, at uh, at work. Um, and apologies for the minor adjustment there. There we go. Uh, some challenges at work. And, uh, and there were a lot of factors uh, feeding into that. Um, my own personal situation, my own financial situation. Um, uh, there were some parental issues. Uh, uh, um, I was, as I was going through this, I felt like I was actually being this horrible father. And that was a heavy brick in my backpack, actually. And of course, I was not necessarily getting the uh, support um, from the people around me uh, at work that I should have. Um, and it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, and, and there's a very important sidebar to this. As luck would have it, at that time, I had my knee operated on and my shoulder operated on. So I was dealing with physical pain, rehab, light duty, 
so here I'm on light duty, in pain, going through all those things as well. And, uh, and I remember having to go into light duty one morning and I pulled off the side of the road. I lived in an area where there is a, a sizable river that, that, that flows out of it. It was uh, wintertime, uh, wintertime in California, the water can flow pretty violently. And, uh, and I was standing on the edge of that river um, doing the mental checklist. Uh, I need to make sure that I write a letter to my daughter. What do I say? Is it a short letter? Is it a very long letter trying to guide her through the rest of her life? Um, uh, sorry, doc. <laughs> um, uh, I, who was going to take care of my dog? My right at my feet still. Um, she's right there. Uh, who's going to take care of my dog? Um, how long would it take for me to go under? Was it going to be painful? Uh, but I'll be damned if I didn't think, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be less painful than, than days without sleep, um, drinking heavily and masking it as cool lunches out in the wine country in California. Um, uh, you know, so I had, uh, there were a couple of things that fit into my recognizing that I needed help. One of them was I needed help in the minute. And I made a call to uh, our EAP and the lady on the other end of the phone said, honestly, that's just not our area of expertise. It's usually finance and, and maybe telling you where you could go for, for um, certain health care and whatnot. The EAP was not at all versed uh, to manage the situation I was in. And God bless that lady. She actually kind of, she talked to me for much longer than what she was supposed to mm -hmm. So I recognize that I'm in this bad situation and I, and I did try some therapy and it, and it didn't work. And so I left it and I tried again and I left it. Um, and then I met uh, the lady that I'm going to marry. Um, she's not afraid of me saying her name. So it's Lorraine. Uh, and, um, and she recognized that I was having a, a pretty tough time as well. So she pushed me towards uh, more therapy and and very much tried to talk to me about being resilient, not giving up if you find if you not don't find the right therapist right away or if it's not working right away. Uh, until one day, I'm out walking with my dog. Things were so bad that uh, I would be walking my dog, and the next minute uh, I will have lost, literally lost time lost. I don't know. I don't know how much time, 10 seconds, three minutes, couldn't tell you, but I would be uh, on my knees uh, on a, on a walking trail, um, bawling my eyes out. So I am on this walk. I go back to my car. That had happened several times. I go back to my car. I'm sitting in my car, kind of collecting myself and a CHP officer drives by and just rolls down the window. And uh, she had asked if I was okay. I, I wasn't crying at the time or anything. She just said, you know, I know she just pulled over and you're not doing anything. Is everything okay? And I, and I told her and I told her how these walks are helping me, but it's a tough time. And, and she gave me the name and number of a therapist that specialized in PTSD or PTSI as we're trying to call it now. 
that person just didn't have the bandwidth yet, uh, didn't have the time, but moved me on to somebody else. And thank God she did, because that somebody else turned out to be Jennifer Payne, uh, who through 40 intense sessions of talk therapy, um, uh, toolbox filling, uh, EMR, et cetera, et cetera. That was what pulled my pulled pulled me out of the woods, frankly. And I still rely on the toolbox that she that she left me with. Um, and uh, and the recognition now that as soon as something's going on, I need to reach out to somebody. So uh, so that's kind of that second story. Uh, that was when I recognized that I really needed help and went down a path of seeking it, finding it, and having it change my life for the better. Wonderful, wonderful. No, and you know your story is is so so amazing, and there's so many people out there that experience that same thing in one way or another of of being at that inflection point, being at that moment where a a decision is going to be made either positively or negatively, and it's going to have ramifications and consequences for, for the rest of your life and others. What do you think it was that assisted you or allowed you to walk away from the river that day to be able to seek help? I'm not sure I've ever been asked that question, uh, at least not that specifically. So I, I appreciate that question. Um, what made me make the decision to walk away? There were a lot of things, um, uh, fear. Um, I was afraid of the people I worked with. Um, <laughs> God, I might've ended up dead and I was still would have been afraid of what they would have thought of me. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't hero enough. Uh, for to be regarded highly, highly if I had killed myself. Uh, so fear was one of them. Um, but probably definitely bigger than that, it was um, I did not want to leave my daughter. Didn't want to leave my dog. I did not, uh, uh, you know, I, I still, there were still, there's still a lot to do in this life. It's funny because, um, to be frank, we when you're at that inflection point, Don, when you're, you, you know, you're at that decision point, um, you're very close to, and I, I make my decision sound like it was rational thought, and I thank God that my head and my heart were straddling that side of the fence at that inflection point, but not by much. Right. I mean, you can tip over the other way and you're not thinking rationally and you forget about your kid and your dog and stuff like that. And you and you just want the pain to go away. Um, so anybody, anytime anybody ever talks to me about uh, being on that fence, being at that inflection point, I, I try to drill in them, recognize that your mind is fooling you. Right. Your heart is fooling you. It just wants the pain to stop. And the fastest and easiest way to do it is suicide quite frankly mm -hmm. recognize that you're not being rational it it sounds it's a conundrum isn't it? it's catch 22 while you're being irrational make the rational decision that you're not being rational um but if you can if you can create if you can install that toggle switch in there okay this isn't right and you go flick and even if you tip over to rationality a little bit i think you'll realize 
um, that, uh, you know, what we go through as first responders is incredibly tough. Um, and it can tip you over to irrationality. Install that toggle switch. Yes, that toggle switch is, is critically important. So I think we're going to take a little break here. We're going to have a word from our sponsor, uh, First Responder Coaching, and we will be back with this amazing conversation. Coaching is here now for all first responders and their families. When it comes to the job and the stresses that come with it, we at First Responder Coaching know exactly how it can affect every aspect of your life and the lives of those around you. That's because we are first responders and their families. First responders are well-versed in reacting to a situation. It is literally what we do as firefighters, law enforcement, dispatch, and EMS personnel. When trauma enters our lives, we react to it by tucking it down away somewhere in our minds but we carry it with us and never really goes away. We need to stop carrying trauma into every aspect of our personal and professional lives. It's time to start having proactive, powerful conversations right now to gain a better balance in the responder's whole life. This is true for their families, especially the spouses. Take that first step in making some of the most important improvements in your life. Visit www.1strespondercoaching.org now to make an appointment to chat with FRC. A coach will reach out, and before you know it, you'll be on your way to living a proactively fit lifestyle. And welcome back to the Resilient Responder podcast. I'm here with Fire Chief Dave Robertson, who's having an amazing, amazing discussion about uh, about mental health, about that inflection point when we find ourselves um, at literally at the river's edge. And one of the things that uh, I picked up from what Dave mentioning is that uh, your heart and your mind are fooling you. That making the decision to take your life is the easy way out. And thinking about where we are on that continuum of that toggle switch and finding rationality to override that irrationality that we are facing. And so, uh, Dave, I know this is a, is a very, very difficult uh, thing to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, we have a lot of individuals out there that experience the exact same thing, um, whether it be on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or even just once in their life. And so I really, really appreciate you bringing this to our awareness and to discussing this. And like we said, the stigma is real. Uh, we don't have these conversations around the dinner table. We don't have these, these conversations with uh, friends and family sometimes. And so just that ability to get these words out in the open and it just might help, might support someone that is also at their, their own version of that, of that riverbank. But, uh, you know, Dave, I think you touched on this a little bit, and I want to talk about uh, what works for you and what hasn't worked for you as you've, as you've stepped away from that riverbank, as you've gone on in your career, uh, your environment has changed, your role has changed. What would you say is the, is the thing that you look at now and say was the, the greatest help to assist you through this phase in your life? Um. Well, flat out, I mean, uh, uh, first of all, the support of Lorraine, um, but from an operational, I guess, or logistical standpoint, it was the, all of the sessions with uh, Jennifer Payne, my, uh, my therapist, um, that was what, that was what really got me past this. 
uh, Lorraine would support me, but then I'd tip over and she'd support me and then I'd tip over, you know, it's, um, and, and that's also exhausting for this person that you love. Yes. Right. Um, and, and it saps their resources, <clears throat> excuse me, as well. Uh, so uh, Jennifer Payne was probably the single, uh, the single uh, greatest um, toolbox filler, I guess. Right. Uh, I still rely on some of the tools that she's that she's given me. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's those two things. But but it's also it's a continuum. You know, it's not like uh, I finished that 40th session and I went home to Lorraine and went, all right, I'm good. Right. Uh, it's it's post-traumatic stress injury. There are alterations to your brain uh, and, and consequently to the brain chemistry, how you perceive things, how you process things. There's also still some mysteries with PTSD. Um, uh, you know, some of the triggers are obvious. Uh, you know, you you maybe go on a bad call regarding a, a, a 65 year old uh, grandmother or 70 year old grandmother. Um, and then two months later, uh uh, you go on a second call with with somebody that looks the same, roughly the same age, and it triggers you. Uh, that one's obvious. That's easy, right? I, I've I've had I got thrown into a similar situation. It's the ones when you've got blue skies, a slight breeze. You're walking your dog. It's a Saturday. You're walking beside a lake, and uh, and all of a sudden, all this anxiety pops into your head. Um, and these and and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm not good enough. I need to do more in the fire service. Um, um, uh, you know, this, that kind of that, that ball of confusion, uh, comes out of nowhere sometimes. So PTSD is, is a bit of a ghost. Um, and so consequently it's a continuum. You don't have that, you know, I've installed the toggle switch all is well. Now you you're, you're having to do things constantly. And this is one of the things talking about it for me, talking to my great friend christy warren just a champion person champion um and very much a champion of of right in the same realm that that uh, that you're working don and and thank god for thank god for you and christy um reading uh reading about it um trying to learn more about it uh uh one of the you know it's funny i keep talking about the toggle switch but I almost think there's like a little subset of of other smaller switches, including uh, working out. Um, why do these things always come up all the time, right? Work out, sleep well, uh, self care. Well, there's a reason why they come up is because they're truths. Yes. Um, so uh, so sitting on that continuum towards uh, towards healing is making sure those switches are flipped in the on position for self care, working out eating well, trying for good sleep, mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that you have been triggered for whatever reason and, uh, and seeking help or support when you're triggered, not letting that fester and become a bit of a, of, of, a, of an emotional cancer. Yes, no, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And, and it's always one of those things where, uh, we will see people on other sides of the city on other shifts infrequently. And it's, it's been my personal experience that when I see someone that has suddenly lost a lot of weight, that things are either going really, really well, or they're going really, really bad. And 
you know, when we are in that situation where our mind is not right and we may not be eating or we may be utilizing exercise as a buffer or as a, a solution to, uh, we're trying to find the healthiest solution possible. And so we go through and we work out really hard, really frequently, uh, changing our diet, all those types of things. And I think those are the, the little, those little, uh, those little hints that maybe our outward presentation is a reflection of something that's going on inside. And so um, I just wanted to shift gears a little bit and uh, I wanna talk about what does it mean for you to be a resilient responder? Uh, wow, another great question. What does it mean for me to, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, I so appreciate you that you provided some parameters for the conversation ahead of time. Um, but this one I, I'm I'm doing on the fly. <laughs> okay. Um, what does it mean for me to be a resilient responder? Um, you know, I at the risk of sounding repetitive, but I I, I usually only repeat things because uh, they are important and they're they're truths. Again, I've I've said that once before, but uh, it bears repeating, and that is. Um, Resilience, I think, is is not uh, about toughing it out. We we have a very long culture in first response of of toughing things out. Um, it's still out there. That's that's why that's why you're on that side of the camera trying to help people, uh, is because it's still out there. Um, that's not what resilience is. That's not what grit is. I think resilience is is uh, resilience is recognition. Resilience is recognition of of what you're going through now. If that is someone like yourself recognizing and somewhat from a crew across town that you haven't seen for a while that something might be going on because of some outward appearances, um, I think when you recognize it and you provide them support, it makes it much easier for them to, uh, to, to kind of muster resilience to move forward. Mm -hmm. um, you know, resilience, resilience is a team effort. Um, I, I think the, by the same token, you're your static uh, support groups, um, family, friends that are always there, uh, uh, spouses, and having them be a part of the conversation of, of the challenge of being a first responder. And by being a part of the conversation, they can recognize for you, something's going on, you know, let's get into that team effort and let's find some resilience for you. Yes. Uh, resilience is, is almost automatically um, you know, I'm resilient. I have grit. I'm tough. I'll figure it out. That's kind of, you know, maybe in the formal definition of resilience, it is a, it's a loner's characteristic. I don't, in reality, at least in this context, resilience is a, is a team effort. And last, um, uh, in terms of recognition is resilience is recognizing what's happening in yourself. Um, you have to you have to start filling that toolbox um, that allows you to be perceptive enough to recognize in in yourself that something's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, where you have to, we're really we're really beating the hammer on the on the toggle buttons today for some reason, but it just for whatever reason today it's really fitting where you turn on that resilience button. It's mm -hmm. Like you know what something's going on. I am. Um, I have not been to the gym for several days. Um, 
I have not slept well for a couple of weeks now. I have not been on a vacation for a year and a half. Uh, if you don't flip that switch of recognition, it's pretty hard to be resilient against the things that are that are beating you up. Yes. No, I, I, I'm right there with you and, and recognizing those things. And, you know, I'll call home sometimes and I'll say, you know, like it won't even be the words that I'm using, but my wife will say, what's going on? What is it? Are, are we going to take the long way around there? Are we going to take the short way there? Like you can, you can just come out and say it, or we can just sit here until you say it. it, it the choice is yours. I, I'm game either way. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, having that support system, having that that spouse, that significant other, that friend, that individual that you can turn to and say, hey, like, you know, you got you got a minute just to chat. And and those little informal off the cuff common conversations are so incredibly important for everyone. And so, uh, Dave, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up here. But the uh, last question I want to ask you is what words of advice do you have for the younger generations that are either early in their career or considering a career in emergency services as it relates to the resilience component of our yeah. discussion? Um, you know, resilience comes from so many places. One of the places it comes from is sheer mileage on this earth. And so recognizing that you are 21, 24, 25, whatever it is, just starting out, as a rookie, um, recognize that you maybe don't quite have that toolbox yet. So start learning about what this job is going to do um, now. Uh, we can throw ladders all day long. I, right before we logged on, I was actually looking at um, a, a conference, a firefighters conference, and it's just all, you know, Booyah. It's like we're search and rescue and more search and rescue and hose deploying and search and rescue. Right. And uh, and that's all very exciting stuff. I love that stuff. I'm I'm all in for that. But I think when you're younger, it's it's so much easier to put your hooks into that and not recognize. That this job is also very hard on you, the, the tough medical calls um, you know, the uh, doing doing CPR on on the uh, on the dad who's in a hospital bed because they're doing at-home hospice, but somebody forgot to sign the DNR, for example, uh, stuff like that. Um, you know, it, know that it's going to be hard, and and the very same way that you know this is a physically challenging job, and you bolster you, yourself against that physical challenge by eating well and working out and sleeping well. Same thing. Recognize that this can be emotionally hard and downright just tough on your flat out tough on your brain aside from all the emotions that you know that it's tough on you know the actual psychology of, of PTSI, PTSI and uh and so bolster yourself against that by starting to fill that toolbox of resiliency um being open with your spouse about what you're getting into being open with your extended family about what you're being into sorry not even just your extended family your mom your dad um uh start recognizing the need for self-care beyond just going to the gym yes um, th that's what i would essentially tell a rookie is is uh yeah. build that resilience toolbox early and and i think that this conversation needs to start happening in the fire academies when you have someone who has decided that this is the path that they want to take 
for whatever reason that brought them to that moment where they're sitting in a chair and everyone looks the same, they've got the shaved heads, you know, everything else. And they are looking towards that search and rescue, those ladders, those, all those things. It's like, we have to take those additional moments. You know, we, we do EMS training, we do fire training. We've got to do mental health resiliency training, because if we don't it's like so many other things in our life. We either take care of it early or we take care of it late. And the longer that we wait to take care of it, the more likely it is going to come that you are going to have less influence, less control, less awareness of how bad things are until you know you find yourself on the river's edge. I 100% agree. Awesome. 100%. Well. Well, Dave, it's been an honor and a privilege speaking with you. Uh, did you want to plug your Fire Edge uh, before we wrap up? Well, aside from it being run by an incredibly handsome guy um, who's also wildly humble uh, <laughs> and a bit of a joker, obviously. Uh, no, Fire Edge, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, Fire Edge, very quickly, is I'm a, uh, I'm a career coach. Um, it's very, very hard to get this job. The fire service keeps on uh, giving recruits the same old whitewashed ideas as to how to get the job. And then a recruit is shocked that it took them four or five, six years. It shouldn't mm -hmm. have to. Um, uh, so I definitely coach you by getting very close to you and getting you into that interview room and deeply revealing yourself. So it's a different take on it. So if anybody wants to ever find me on that, fireedge.com, my phone number's on there, reach out directly. Perfect. Well, Dave, it's been an absolute honor and a privilege speaking with you. Thank you so much for your candidness, for the discussion that we're having. And folks, look forward to the next episode of the Resilient Responder podcast coming out soon. Thank you all.